and welcome to the What the Folk Offside brand new spin-off show podcast. We're going to step out of the world of football ever so slightly and into the world of my other two loves, music and of course film. Although to be fair, with today's guest, it could develop into a little bit of football at some point, but welcome to the show, Vinny Caruana. How are you doing? Are you well? Thank you very much. Yes, I'm doing very well. And I hope that we touch on, on the football. <laughs> but you, you it, it always surprised me how much you love football, actually. Let's start on that. Like, how did okay. that happen? Uh, I grew up playing the game. And it grew into quite a competitive thing for me. I played for, since the age of four, um, grew into, like in, in New York, we call it travel, which means it's no longer a, a, a games that are just played within your town like intramural kind of things mm-hmm. um by the time i was maybe eight or nine years old i joined my first travel team which means you travel to other towns in new york to go and other tournaments as well in other states and actually you know the my first band started around the same time that i was meant to go to university and i was meant to play for my university team but instead i started my first band called the movie life and that was it so i played competitively in 18 or 19 but i still play now in brooklyn well as of last season everything's up in the air right now nobody's playing anything but been playing in on two different teams one one league that takes place in chinatown in manhattan and one that takes place in williamsburg in brooklyn so yeah playing the game is what got me into the game i've never stopped and i've I must say that uh, even though I'm 40, I can't do the things that I could do when I was 18, but I can play. Where do you play? What's your position? And I can prove it. On my team, I play, I play as, we play um, like uh, five aside or six aside. We play mm-hmm. outdoors, uh, five aside or six aside. And I play center midfield in that, in that setup. So it's more like a box-to-box center midfielder. The guy that works the most. I'm the oldest guy on my team, and, and, and I'm the guy that runs the most. And I'm not sure how that worked out that way. but So at the time of speaking, I suppose, as well, we're both in lockdown right now. Hopefully that will change soon if it's the right thing to do. But I suppose we have to touch on it in a way. But I noticed you've been doing some like live online sets and stuff like that, some movie live sets, some avalanche sets. Uh, enjoying it, or is it kind of to keep the boredom at bay? Something I look forward to. I've been doing two shows a week. I've been doing um, Thursdays during the day here, mainly for people in the UK. So around eight o'clock once they've done with their dinner and they're just sitting on the couch. And and then I do Sunday evenings, uh, New York time, so that people on the West Coast and the East Coast of America and some of the people in Europe and the UK that are staying awake and also people in Australia that are waking up early can enjoy it. It's, you know, it's, it's basically my job right now. It's not the same as, uh, as it used to be as far as, you know, performing, but it's something I look forward to. It's something that pumps massive amounts of serotonin into my body when it's happening. Um, my wife helps me coordinate the whole thing. So we're working together. It gives us a project. Um, and it's made me a better musician. I keep adding songs to my repertoire, songs that I haven't sung since I was a teenager, songs I haven't sung since my early 20s. And so my, you know, the real work is done before and after the shows when I'm like basically expanding my, uh, expanding what I can perform. I watch everybody's like requests and things that people want that they haven't heard and I just learn it. Certain songs I've never played on guitar because I didn't write it on guitar, which reminds me I need to write to Brandon Riley tonight. I need to text him tonight and show me a tutorial on how to play a few movie life songs that I can't figure out. Who are we to complain? Like if we if I can still sing and play music during this time, that singing, writing music, recording music, performing music, and traveling, which isn't happening now, but those are the things that kind of keep me keep me happy. Keep, keep that part of my being, you know what I mean? Um, those outlets are, have always been something that has kind of kept me level. I really like, like, I suppose it was before lockdown really took a hold, but there was a, and I, and I don't know if there were a band that you like, but it seemed to be the first band that I noticed that did it. And obviously it's not as, 
it's not as possible now because we have to keep the social distance. But I think Code Orange did like a live set because they just like released an album literally like a week later. There might be this big show and I think in Pittsburgh and everything just went to shit and they just kind of literally got on stage without a crowd and just went for it. But it, it did kind of shoot off a load of other bands doing this kind of live stuff, which is really, really super cool. And even though it's mm. different, it's like, mm-hmm. in a way, it's a really good way of, of connecting, isn't it? Do you feel like you're connecting more than maybe ever? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is something for people to look forward to as well. The people that are into my music and the people that want to get down with this kind of experience. And it does feel like you're hanging out with people. Like, it feels like we're hanging. In a different way, obviously. It doesn't feel like naturally the way that we're used to it feeling, but... I love my wife. She loves me, but it's nice when we get to talk to other people, you know, um, even if it's me, even if it's me. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I, it, it's, I'm really gl- uh, grateful for it. I watched that uh, Code Island. Uh, I'm sorry, Code Orange. Um, it's so funny. I just made like a Freudian slip. There was a band called Orange Island that we grew up with touring. In Code Orange. Yeah. <laughs> it's an Orange, easy yeah. mistake to make. <laughs> um, so we watched that. We were finishing recording the new Avalanche record. And like you said, yeah. it was before the social distancing. We all knew this was coming, but we weren't sure how we were, how we were meant to navigate this situation. Yeah. So we were in the studio um, recording and it's a huge building. It's a huge facility. And do you know the band Drug Church? I love Drug Church. Huge, he's huge there. fan. Nicest guys on the planet. Great, great lyricist also. But yes. Oh, he, he's incredible. I actually have never, like, I met him briefly in Liverpool, actually. We played a show together, like a, like a little mini festival kind of thing. Yeah. He was the only one that was not there uh, because he had left. Uh, their tour ended with Thrice and um, Me Without You. Oh, Me Without You, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. And um, he went to Cambodia to like explore and travel, and the rest of the band went to record the music. And so we got to know the band really well because Drug Church. I don't know if this if I'm spilling beans on Drug Church, but Drug Church has a new record. <laughs> um i know that because they were recording it in one room and we were recording hours in the other room so we would we would speak and kind of hang out they're also so like sweet and just cool and we got on the level like avalanche is that kind of band like we we become friends with everyone we come across every band it's very rare i won't name the bands but um it's very rare that like we don't get on that like superhuman level with like every band that we chill with because we can i don't know it's a good group of guys so um not only did drug church sing gang vocals on the entire new i am the avalanche record that we managed to finish one day before new york sent out the hey everybody needs to start self-quarantining which is so cosmic (laughs) like yeah and it's done it's done i'm getting the masters tomorrow and so um no we made a date like we both work all day we start working at like 10 in the morning and then i think that was like a 9 p.m kind of showing in new york and we uh we got together in the lounge of the studio and drug church and i'm the avalanche just watched the code orange uh performance together it was good and we were all like wow yeah yeah it was amazing it was really cool that new album is like, I mean, I I was one of the, Code Orange were one of those bands that I ended up seeing really early doors. I seen them in like this vegan pub in Glasgow and like oh, cool. the whole place just got tore apart. It was like, it was yeah. like 50 people there, but 50 people was like yeah. 50 people in my bedroom and the whole place just right. got tore apart. But they were the same attitude. And like, I think I, I really, obviously, every, I think everyone's struggling right now, um, probably mentally to an extent. And you get to go on your run during the day, but the new Code Orange album, like, pff, that that helps it's, it's you. incredible. Yeah, so good. What a so good. They're so cool. Yeah, yeah. And and just the right amount of weird as well, which I quite like. Just the right mm-hmm. amount of weird. Um, obviously, as I've spoke to you many, many times and your bandmates many times, something I grew up with when I was young was... For some reason, bands from Long Island. Name a band from Long Island. I probably liked them when they were out if I was 14, 15. Movie Life being one of them. But if there's one thing I particularly like finding out about, 
if I, if that's the kind of music that molded me, what kind of mo- music molded the people that I listened to? So going back as far as you can, what are your earliest, earliest musical memories? As far as I can, I will say the basement of my parents' house was where the record player was, the vinyl record player, the phonograph. And the earliest memories I have of going down there, getting very uh, stern directions on how to handle a record and put it on the player and lay the needle down without ruining the vinyl. I'm sure we ruined a lot of vinyl. but. Um, Earliest memories were going down the basement where we would also kind of play. It was kind of our play area. I'm the youngest of three boys, so two older brothers. Um, The earliest memory would be uh, Queen. A lot of Queen. A lot of... uh, What's the name of that Queen record with a really scary cover for kids? It's like this big Iron Man looking guy and he's like crushing humans with his hand. It's a uh, night at the opera. No. All right. So it is definitely not night at the opera. Jesus. They have a lot of records. <laughs> they have like 40 or something. It's called news of the world. News of the Where, world. There's people yeah. listening to this pod right now going news of the fucking the world. world. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but the, um, what I didn't realize is I think it's the band members that he's crushing to death. It's funny because I saw a Family Guy episode recently where Stewie gets nightmares from that record. And I used to have the same thing. I used to look at that. You know, when you're young and you just look at stuff for like an hour, burns into your brain, fixate on these visuals, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of Queen. I remember a lot of Billy Joel. He's a Long Island. He's a son of Long Island. So like yeah. people, Long Island people kind of gravitated towards Billy Joel. A lot of Simon and Garfunkel. Great choice. Um, a lot of the Beatles and a lot of the band, like Bob Dylan's band, the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and those were like my earliest memories of like taking records out. And then right around that time was like also the 80s new wave thing was happening. So we did a lot of Duran Duran, a lot of Flock of Seagulls. Those were like the, which I still, I love, I still love all that shit. Yeah, same. Eighties was the the best. You look at how it shapes bands now. Like you, you can't listen to Cold Cave and not hear New Order. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Which is great, and it's definitely not a, a negative thing. My parents were. My parents are. My dad will be. My dad just turned seventy four. My mom just turned seventy one. No, turned seventy seventy one. So my parents were too a little bit too old and a little bit too suburban to get into new order or any of like the more stylized gothy stuff, you know? Yeah. But they did, they did, they did. um, When we started making requests, they would get us some stuff. So we got into like, they bought us kiss records and they bought us Judas priest. I remember Judas priest screaming with a vengeance is another it's an extremely visual cover. It's like this really sick design work that's done on that cover. Um, the cover of Scre- Screaming for Vengeance, Judas Priest is another visual that's burned into my brain as a kid. And some Ozzy Osbourne. So when does it start turning into, I don't want to say like music, the movie life made, that's not what I mean, but I think we all have like, if I remember the first band that I ever wanted to sound like, it was like, pick any drive through band. I said, yeah, I want to mm-hmm. sound like that. I think it was Finch was like my first kind of like, yeah, I like that. But you which, developed that Which phase, was extremely you? derivative from Glassjaw. I mean, Finch, we used to call Finch Glassjaw Light. Yeah, basically. Yeah, they, they basically were like, they also had that kind of like, they were into hum and stuff like that as well. And right, like yeah. hum, Deftones, like so yeah, many Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Like, and and Glassjaw was obviously derivative from Deftones and Bad Brains, like, and, and Deftones were derivative from Bad Brains, like, but like, so I don't mean Finch Light like like no as an, like, as an insult. I, I just mean they were way more accessible. They had big pop tunes. Glass Show was a little bit more rough around the edges, you know. Yeah, kind of when you think of bands like that, very much what you were saying. The older I'm getting, the more I'm seeing like these bands that are popular with like kids. That I'm seeing kids kids 21 year olds like 20 21 year olds you hear those bands and you go oh man that was just 
they just sound like the movie life. That's who they liked as a kid. They just sound like Glastia. And you go through all those bands, but it, it is quite solidical, right? Like, I think that's the way music sometimes almost goes. And then there's almost, there's those little inflections of difference that kind of make that band that band. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think when I was like 12, 13, you had like, you know, Linkin Park, Slipknot, all that kind of stuff that gets you into the, okay, this is heavy. This is who I am, mum, kind of music. Do you know what I mean? But what yes. was the kind of bands that changed into more, should we say, punk sensibilities for you? So having two older brothers was helpful and very instrumental in how and, and why I got into the stuff I got into. You know, they were buying records. Like I was 11, they were 14 and 15. 14 and 15 year olds go and buy records. 11 year olds don't. So, you know, I would just sneak into their rooms and just pay attention to what my older brothers are doing and what they're listening to. So the way it started was, first of all, just to backtrack a little bit, it being from New York and being from Long Island, hip hop was the first hour music. So before we got into anything else, we had Public Enemy, which was from two miles away from where we grew up. We had De La Soul, that was maybe 10, 15 miles away. Tribe Cold Quest was another 10, 15 miles away in the other direction in Queens. You know, EPMD was happening. Um, all that stuff was happening. So the first music that we got into on our own before we circled back to rock was hip hop. We were listening to 1988, 1989, 1990 was like Slick Rick's first full-length came out. Public Enemy, Nation of Million to Hold Us Back, and then Fear of a Black Planet to follow it up. That shit all was like between 88 and 90. So 88, I was nine years old. I was literally nine years old listening to Slick Rick's first full-length because my brother was 13 and he was fully into hip hop. So like, okay, all that, all that stuff, we would dove into hip hop still all me and both my brothers still love hip hop. It's like part of who we are and where we're from. But right around the, that same time, like right when I turned like 11, 12 is like when alternative music became a term. Yeah. And it was just like rock, you know, like, um, so my bro- my older brothers started getting into, you know, the whole grunge explosion happened. So we're talking about like, um, you know, early Nirvana, um, Tad, Mudhoney, Afghan Wigs, anything that Sub Pop was putting out. Seaweed was on Sub Pop at the time. Anything Sub Pop was putting out, we were getting into. At the same time, Faith No More was on the radio. Alice in Chains was on the radio. Soundgarden. Soundgarden. All that stuff was like us being like, okay, we're into alternative rock. And then my older brothers, when they're 14, 15, 16, discovered that there's an underground scene on Long Island that's way more edgy than this stuff on the, on the radio. There's shows, all the moshing that we're seeing on TV is happening in clubs on Long Island. You can go and mosh. Cause we didn't know what moshing was. Like we didn't, we didn't like go, we didn't, punk rock was obviously happening in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. But we didn't know that because we were kids. Yeah, We sure. knew who the Ramones were and stuff, but like we skipped punk. So the Caruana boys went from hip hop into alternative rock that was on the radio and that we could find and that we knew about. And it went from hip hop to alternative stuff into straight into hardcore. Skip punk. Didn't know who the Dead Kennedys were. Didn't know who Black Flag was. We found that shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. so we went from <clears throat> listening to like hip hop and then never losing hip hop, but also moving into Alice in Chains, Pantera, 
um, Faith No More, Sepultura, shit like that. And then as soon as they found the scene on Long Island and started going to these shows as teenagers, then we were like, oh, this, there's a thing. It's called hardcore. That word is extremely malleable, especially on Long Island. Movie life would be classified as Long Island hardcore if we were talking about 1996, 1997. Not because we were a hardcore band, but because we were part of a scene and every single little element of that scene was part of Long Island hardcore. Yeah. So once they started going to these shows, we started finding out what hardcore was and we started, we, we went backwards. Oh, okay. So some of the forefathers were called Minor Threat. All right, we're buying all the Minor Threat records. Okay, but there's hardcore, hardcore bands in New York. Who are those guys? All right, so, uh, so there's a band called Warzone. There's a band called Sick of It All. There's a band called Biohazard that crossed over into hardcore. Sick of It All was probably the end-all, be-all. When, when we heard Minor Threat, it was obvious that we were just like, oh, okay, this is amazing. This band doesn't have a bad song. Um, Black Flag has bad songs <laughs> they have some great songs as well but minor threat i will stay i will still stand behind the fact that minor threat doesn't have a single bad song in their entire discography so minor threat became a thing then we shaved our heads and then some of my older friends started being straight edge and then i saw them and i thought they were cool and i started being straight edge um and then the bands that my older brothers were going to see as teenagers were really good bands in their own right. And a lot of them were way ahead of their time. And these were Long Island bands that were playing in a Long Island scene. And I will say a few of their names, like the ones that, the ones that definitely got us started. The first Long Island hardcore record I ever held in my hands was Seven Inch by a band called Mind Over Matter extremely important band from Long Island. Mind Over Matter, like you mentioned, Glassjaw, please excuse the burps. I'm drinking, I'm drinking my, I'm drinking a big Grilsch? bottle of Grilsch, which is, which I buy whenever I see, and we keep them in the fridge whenever the time is right. This is what I drink on the ferries when I'm leaving and coming to England. So you mentioned Glassjaw. I mean, we've been we've mentioned Glassjaw, and it's impossible not to mention them when it comes to like Long Island and music and stuff. But, um, there. I mean, there's like a huge sing along in a Glassjaw song. That's all the lyrics are completely lifted from a Mind Over Matter song that you can hear, and that you'll go, "Oh my God!" Another band called Neglect more irreverent kind of hardcore band. A lot of the songs dealt with basically the singer wanting to kill himself a lot of suicide, but this is, he's also a teenager getting his angst out. Yeah, sure. Um, silent majority is probably as far as, um, glass jaw, taking back Sunday, brand new crime and stereo. Those long Island bands, Silent majority is the end all be all melodic hardcore from long Island in the nineties you know, from 94, maybe from like 93, 94, we all started listening to them. There would be no brand new. There would be no Taking Back Sunday. There would be no movie life. There would be no silent majority. 100%. I get um, that. That band, like a lot, gets brought up to, if I speak to anyone, or it's been a while, but if I spoke to anyone from that scene, yeah, it does. It gets, and like, and I mean, like a lot, like it, when I say a lot, actually, I mean every time. Like every yeah, it's, it's unavoidable, and anybody who doesn't bring it up just forgot to mention it <laughs> because yeah. they made a full length called "Life of a Spectator," which still to this day is a ten out of ten record. It's fucking perfect, and it's on Spotify for those to listen to. And when you listen to it, you're going to hear all those bands. You're going to hear where we got our at least. You know, when I started with movie life, like I just tried to sing like Tommy from Sound Majority. Because that's all I knew. As, because we, Movie Life was always a melodic band. We were never a hardcore band or anything. So where do I look for melody? 
this guy that I go and see every weekend. These bands were playing every weekend. So we would just go. So we didn't need touring bands to come through Long Island. They yeah. ended up coming because they realized that there were thousands of kids going to shows on Long Island because of all these pioneering Long Island bands. Um, but for a while, it didn't matter. Like, oh, who's coming to town? Who gives a shit? We have all our own music, you know? But I'll say the same for Silent Majority, Mind Over Matter, Neglect, Vision of Disorder, uh, Loyal to None. Um, trying to think. Garden Variety, uh, Sleeposaurus. Um, there's another thing. I'll send you a link to this. I actually sent a link uh, to some friends last night because I found it. There's a band called Last Crime which was members of like um, the singer sang for some legendary bands in New York, one called Beyond, which was like a, uh, like a hardcore band out of New York City and Long Island. Um, he, that became 1.6 band. And then he, he made what I believe is his best record, Kevin Egan, he made his best, best record with a band called The Last Crime. And I, I hunted down the EP. It's, it, you can't stream it on any of like the normal streaming services, yeah. but there's links and shit to it. There's people hosting it. So I found it. So I just save it in my favorites, like on my like Google favorites. And then I just put it on that way. With Long Island being such a big thing, like I said, for me, but you've mentioned like a lot of bands that influence you there as well. But one thing I've always found, and I'll include very much yourself in this as well. Um, I always connected to the lyrics before the music, which is same for a lot of people. But sometimes when you're listening to like heavy music and you hear that you hear the guitar first, and that's what changes things. But it's the really it's like the lyrics that sort of get you into stuff. Why do you think so many bands from Long Island have such a strong lyrical content? It's because it's because of those same bands. It's because of what Silent Majority was doing. It's because of what Mind Over Matter was doing. Hard on your sleeve, emotional, and also sincere. And um, everything was a true story. Like none of it was like bullshit, where you're just inventing anything. That's yeah. the way we all learn. We learn from them. They, you know, they learn from. Maybe they learn from New Order. For all I know, but like. That hard on your sleeve, um, sincere, this is a true story that I'm singing about my life and my feelings kind of thing. Um, I mean, me and Daryl and, you know, Jesse and Adam. Yeah, I know Adam's not from Long Island. He's from North Carolina. But Adam, we used to all go to North Carolina. The first time I met Adam, he was in the crowd just singing along to Movie Life and Sound Majority because Movie Life and Sound Majority went to North Carolina together. And Adam was in the crowd. And the next thing we know, Eddie quits Movie Life, starts a new band, brings Adam up to Long Island. So Adam was still using some Long Island sensibilities when he made his approach to, yeah. to music. So... Um, yeah, I mean, we we just watched the guys in front of us, and they were they were singing about real shit. They weren't, you know, making like dumb pop songs. They were there was real emotion and real feeling and everything. So we just took their their cue, like, oh, this is how you do it. That's it. Yeah, not everyone's lucky enough to have that, you know. <clears throat> yeah, people naturally buy into it as well. I mean, remember, like, but I think yeah. you know what's kind of weird. Like, I think when I was young obviously I connected to it and sometimes you grow up and you change and you go, Oh God, I can't believe I like that song. But like a lot of right. that stuff I've stuck with at now 33, we're talking almost 20 years later. And I can only really ask you not, not about other people because they're not here to answer for themselves. But a lot of the lyrics did have, in my opinion at the time with like movie life, brand new, a few of the bands I've mentioned had a, a maturity that some others band, some other bands didn't. And I won't name who, right. but some, some of them didn't. In, in a sense, it was like, I mean, I remember when someone, it's funny you said about Melodic Hardcore, because I remember it was my friend David. He, he bought me two tickets to see Movie Life. And it was like six pound, like six pound. Where? In Newcastle? Newcastle, yeah. Northumbria University. I think it was the, I think it was the 40 hour train to Penn. 40 hour train back to Penn uh, tour. I think you played with uh, RX Bandits. Mm, no, it wouldn't have been our expanded. I think 40 hour train tour, maybe Piebald. Piebald and Homegrown, I think. Or I might think there's something corporate. 
Uh, I think 40 hour, if my memory serves me, we came through with Piebald and maybe Vendetta Red. It was Vendetta Red. It was 100% Vendetta Red. What a band, and, uh, Vendetta Red. Yeah, they were I good. That band. They were great. So good. Um, and I think on 40 Hour, we put that out, did that tour, and then the last time we ever played until we reformed a decade later was uh, Reading and Leeds Festival. Because yeah. that was all the same year. We put out 40 Hour in 2003. We did the tour with Piebald and Vendetta Red. We came back in the summer, played Reading and Leeds, and then we were dust. Because I remember... <laughs> This this is my I think I told you this last time I saw you, but my my horrible horrible movie life story. I hate festivals. I hate them, and it's because of this one experience that I had. I went to Leeds and Reading in two thousand and three, and if you remember that that the stage of that day it was like funeral yeah. for a friend were first on. I'll go yeah, through thrice. Yeah. AFI. It was so fucking good. Yeah, Pennywise, Poison, Pennywise. Well, no effects. I want to say Uncle Billy Trio. Talent were on that when Billy Talent weren't really the lockout anything. stage. Called that it. was the one. Yeah, yeah. And it was great. And I loved it. But I got like super duper drunk. Now, like, I, I think I stopped drinking when I was 16. I went straight edge, you know, as a lot of us do. But I I got really drunk and fell asleep and missed Movie Life thrice. Argyle <laughs> Trio. Like super. And we super played drunk. early too. Yeah. I, I got, I got. I got, I'm saying drunk, I got super stoned and super drunk. And it was just like that kind of, I think it was like 14, 15 or something. And it was just kind of one of, it was just one of those things. And I was like, I remember I had tickets for Feeling for a Friend in Movie Life. And I consoled myself by saying, oh, it's okay. You know, I'm seeing them in October. And then you broke up and I never saw you until bloody hell, what, 15, 16 years later or something like that. And I never really got the chance to see Nightmare View either in between. So I didn't even get a chance to see like one of you in the flesh until right. years later. <laughs> and, and now we're here. But, you know, there's a reason that music stayed with me for that long, I think. And there's a reason a lot of the bands that we've mentioned have stuck with me as well. And just going back to sort of what I was saying before, it was about maturity in the lyrics, I think. I think a lot of us have wrote or wrote music or whatever. Um, and sometimes when you write that honestly, it's a bit scary sometimes. Do you ever worry a little bit about being so personal with your music and so open and putting your head above the parapet that it kind of people are there to we, we live in a, an, an aggressive angry world sometimes and people are there to shoot with you or would you would you never would you ever change being as personal as you have in your lyrics or is that no I, I don't know any other way I really don't know any other way so like I don't even think about it like that this is just the way it is <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't think about any of that um and honestly, the I don't try to do it. It just happens. And um, the people that are into my music, you know, I've never been a rock star. I've never like like made my fortune or had my big hit. You know, um, it's never been about that. But the people that do get into my music and my lyrics and stuff, I see that it works, and I see that it makes sense to them, and I. I see that we connect on those levels. And so, listen, when I, when we started the movie life, it was all about, for me, at least I was 18. I just, it might be cool to play a few shows, maybe have some friends show up and sing along stage dive and shit. That was all it was. Cause I was already involved in the long Island scene yeah. as just a guy that like, I was a part of the community and Never thought about being in a band. I don't know why. Because I was a teenager. I just didn't think about stuff that way. I just was like, oh, yeah, I got a post and it's great. And I listen to music. And this is part of my identity is being a hardcore kid. Like, yeah. And a Long Island hardcore kid at that. Being a Long Island hardcore kid and a hardcore kid mean like they're very, very different. Being a Long Island hardcore kid is a very unique thing. And, um, Honestly, never, never, never thought about being in a band. And on a, and and when when we started movie life, like it was just to have some kicks and like play some shows with our friends. And and so people like you know us talking about it now, and people still coming out to shows this many years later and stuff. And this wasn't any none of this was part of the plan, but what we did and. The music that we wrote and the lyrics that I wrote and I guess you know I guess we did it right 
as kids, you know, I don't know. You don't know when you're in it, but when you look back, you're going, oh shit, I did something that still matters. Oh cow. Like that's, that's, that's something else. But it does. And it's like, I was thinking about this today and it's like, when I'm thinking about uh, questions you would ask and things you think about, and it's like, it dawns on you like, shit, I heard that music 20 years ago and I'm still listening to it every day. Oh, I yeah. wonder, and I, I still, wonder I still why. Listen to that stuff. Yeah. I still listen to my stuff. I always circle back to the stuff from those years, from when I was a teenager. I always circle back to it. And even if it is a little goofy sometimes, like, you know, maybe some of the songs or some of the lyrics or whatever, I don't give a shit. It still gives me a good feeling, you know? It's crazy when you get those songs, like, like for me, Scary does it every time. The bridge bear, when you, your, your vocal goes up, every time is like the first time I heard it, I'm just like, yeah, this shit's good. It's good. Like, <laughs> That's great. But it's, 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 it's crazy that music can have that effect for so long across so many decades and so many different emotions and so many different situations and you still go back to it. Um, veering away ever so slightly, obviously last time we met, I was interviewing Brandon, um, someone who uh, you know, I admire greatly as well. But I could see... I remember him. you took over our dressing room for about an hour. <laughs> did, did we really? I don't remember that. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I know. I, I had remember. to sneak in during your interview to grab another beer. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I was excited that day. I was excited because he was he was surprised because there was a guy that interviewed you first, right? There was a guy that came in yes. and was like, "Oh, do you want to take it in turns?" And I was like, "I'm interviewing Brandon." And Brandon's like, "You interview? Oh, oh yeah, you're, you're interviewing." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> like like people wouldn't be bothered. And I'm like, "Dude, I love nightmare. I like love nightmare of you." But one thing that really got me in a nightmare view, and I didn't know it was Brandon until I seen the photo of them when I first heard um, Days Go By Oh So Slow. It was the first one I heard. And then someone's like, oh, it's the guitarist from movie. I was like, oh, okay. Um, right. But one thing I loved speaking to him about, and I have it now, but maybe because I'm older, like he loved UK music. And I don't just mean like good 80s stuff, like the Smiths, Morrissey, like because I know a lot of like bands in America like that. But he liked The Cure and he liked Blur and he liked Oasis. I mean, the haircut kind of give it away, if I'm honest. That he liked yeah, it. yeah but, of course. But why is it you think like so many like American, and I'll say in inverted commas, punk bands kind of really identify with like basically late 80s, mid 90s British indie music? What is it that we do that you seem to love so much? It's the same harder on your sleeve stuff. You know, like there's a reason why everyone is... There's a reason why we all like love Morrissey at the same time we were listening to like brutally heavy hardcore. Yeah. Um, Morrissey is like the king of hard on your sleeve. It, like the, as far as emotive lyrics, I mean, he's the king. Is he a fucking dickhead? Yes. <laughs> um, he, you know, we all know uh, Morrissey's been a loud mouth for a long time and we've tolerated that, but I feel like in this day and age, like it's just not, it's not going yeah. over as well as it used to. Um, you could say, but no, that. like, you know, joy division is the ultimate, like manic depressive Morrissey, manic depressive. The lyrics make you feel something. Yeah. Um, so I think that's it, but also that doesn't apply to everything blur. Not everything like is like that with blur and Oasis. Oasis has lyrics in massive fucking tunes that mean nothing. And they've already admitted to that. Uh, and blur is really playful with some of their lyrical content too. I think, I think as far as like the, uh, like just Brit pop in general, like this is where, where from you, like we, we talk differently than you, but we're all, we all came from you. Not we all as Americans. I just mean guys like Vinnie Caruana, who's, you know, who, whose ancestors are one half Sicilian and the other half is English and Scottish and Irish. And so, I mean, couldn't you picture me having a Scottish or English or Irish accent? Oh, if quite easily. Looking yeah, yeah. at my face, like yeah, yeah. that's us. You know, it's in our blood. It's in our blood, and that. So when we first hear that, the blood starts to bubble, and the blood goes, "Yes, that's us. That's who we are. That's who I am. That's part of my um, makeup." I, I believe that. You know, we uh, uh, most of the kids I grew up with are like of um, 
all, almost all of my best friends who I grew up with, who I'm still friends with now, they're either Italian or they're English, Irish, Scottish heritage. Um, cause this is New York. <laughs> all of our parents grew up in New York city in Brooklyn and Queens and shit. They all, all of their ancestors came over from Ireland, England. Like we have all of that in our blood. So I don't think it's any mystery why we are drawn to British culture, the music, the culture, the football. Yeah. I mean, I have it. I I, I will say to the listener, I have a Scotland top on right now. Which I'm very proud of. Well, I texted you and said, um, are you going to wear a Sunderland top? And I am a Liverpool supporter. And I'm also an England supporter. When I bought, okay, so on, you know how like, you know, there's just like the, some of the greatest managers are Scottish managers. And that's, that's, that's a, just a fact. Yeah, absolutely. The, some of the greatest tour managers and crew people are also <laughs> Scottish. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> and so <laughs> some of, some of the they get, they get the job right? done. <laughs> yeah. They get the fucking job done. Uh, nobody's, nobody's going, nobody's bickering with the uh, Scottish tour manager over money. No. The Scottish tour manager will get his way. <laughs> and um, so I bought an England top on on a tour our scottish he's from aberdeen his name's nelly his name's neil but we call him nelly and uh he's been a avalanche tour manager for days and then when i would come over solo he would he would manage me as well tour manage me as well so neil from aberdeen uh he saw me buy an england top it was going to be the last um it was going to be the last year that Steven Gerrard was playing for England before he retired from international duty. So I bought an England top on that tour with his number and name on the back. Just, I do that sometimes. I'll do that with Liverpool players too. If I know a player is going, like I'll, I'll, I'll use that opportunity. If, if, you know, if he's going, if he's not going unceremoniously, if it's someone that like has been a faithful servant to the club, like I'll get their name on the back of the shirt um, because it's my last chance to do so. So I bought a Steven Gerrard top from his last English. I was, I bought it in Manchester actually. And the guy <laughs> gave, the guy gave me shit. Uh, he's like, you sure you want this top? <laughs> like giving me shit. And I was like, yeah, 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 I want it. Um, and so on that same tour, when we got to Glasgow, he disappeared and came back with this top. He's like, there's no fucking way I'm sending you home. You're going to buy an England top, like under my watch. Like there's no fucking way that I'm going to send you home without this. So, and this is a great top. I mean, this is a, you see oh, the, uh, always the, great. The tartan kind yeah. of lining here. Is that like uh, 2017 this, maybe? Um, I would say. Was that the stereo show when you played stereo, when you first came back? That was 2000. I think it is. I think it is. I think it's 2000. Yeah. Something like yes, that. Yes, I, I think it is. I think this was 2017. Yeah. Time has disappeared. It's a lovely top. It's the, for the listener who's not seeing. It's got a. It's a navy top, with a blue and. Cotton. Under. Cotton kind of lining. Design? I don't know what they call that. I'm not a clothing designer. Adidas top. I think they still have an Adidas top. Scotland. Yeah, yeah. That's the, yeah, yeah. They've just released like this new amazing blue one that like my girlfriend's desperate for me to buy for her, but it's like. 65 pound and you know love is not about money right no it's not <laughs> that's what i'm trying to tell her anyway um i play in this top sometimes like uh a lot of times in like when we play pickup games and stuff we just wear dark and light color so i'll wear yeah. i'll bring this as my dark color why why liverpool by the way because obviously the obvious reason would be like they were a relatively big club, successful, so on and so forth. But I get, I get the feeling not, not when I've been watching them. <laughs> I'm a Sun, I'm a Sunland fan, so certainly more successful than 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 my team. Like, as you will know by maybe have, you've watched the Netflix documentary, right? I thought that was you, and I had yeah. to confirm it because we yeah. only spoke. We I, we had a nice conversation when when we met, but we it was only about a half hour. Yeah, yeah. So. When I saw you, oh, I've never seen you with that look on your face. 
<laughs> yeah. You fucking grilled them. Yeah. Happy. I, don't, I don't think they were happy, but they deserve what you gave them. But I was right. I was so right about that sign. Yeah. Like, say you, we, you were right. you were saying exactly what and every Sunderland supporter was thinking. So, yeah. And I, I could only approach it as a fan. He didn't make his job any easier, but that was your duty as a supporter. Well, yeah, that 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 was that was my thoughts behind it. Absolutely. Those um, guys made fools of themselves, man. Come on. It's what, what is it like watching that show as like a complete neutral low? Because <laughs> when I watch it, I just hurt. I just hurt watching it. No, I did too. I think I think anybody with a heart would hurt from watching that. I mean, I, I, listen, I'm an American supporter of Liverpool. I don't, I don't, I love the sport. I love the sport before I got into the into the Premier League or any league. You know, that yeah. is first and foremost. So you know. I'm familiar with Sunderland because they were a Premier League club sure. um, during the time that I fully got engaged in the Premier League. And, and and any American supporter that tells you that they're like they've been fully engaged in the Premier League for three decades is lying because we couldn't watch this shit on TV until like 10, 11 years ago. For real. Can't see it. We couldn't watch games. We could watch replays of games a month later and shit. But there was no setup for the American market with with Premier League. So I've only been supporting Liverpool for a decade because how can you possibly choose a team to support? Yeah, if you can't watch Unless like your dad's from England and you moved to the States and he grew up and yeah. he raised you as a supporter and he showed you all the VHS tapes and the DVDs. But for us, like how could you possibly like pledge loyalty to a club that you can't watch day in, day out? You know what you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. So so um no watching the watching the Sunderland Till I Die um series was sad for me. I knew how it ended. Like I keep I have friends that are Sunderland supporters and shit. Like I knew that they didn't get promoted and uh, I knew that it didn't end well. But I still watched it. And it was sad. Like, it still gave me, like, bursts of, like, happiness, like, when it did go well, you know, and when things, you know, they didn't have a terrible season. No, Uh, some some great memories in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't all doom and gloom, but in the (laughs) end, they didn't make it. But, um, no, I I thought it was sad because I think about all my, 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 you know, people. And I, and honestly, being a Liverpool supporter, I didn't see them win anything for the the Champions League. Maybe one trophy, maybe like a... 2005, maybe? Istanbul? That was 15 years ago. I watched oh, yeah. that game as a neutral. I remember I was in Providence, Rhode Island, watching that in a bar. Good game. Just being a fan of the game. Yeah. You know? And I also always admired Steven Gerrard, which is the roundabout answer to your question. Like, I've always just admired him, like being a midfield kind of... And now he's in Glasgow. I know. Yeah, he is. Um, so half of the Glaswegians that are listening to this are like, fuck yeah, Stevie. And the rest of them are like, fuck Stevie. Fuck no. <laughs> yeah. But no, like, you know, I generally like gravitated towards Liverpool for many reasons. Um, but Stevie is the one that I was like, you know, that's my guy. That's like, I love, he's my favorite player. And so, you know, basically my wife was in maybe about 10 years ago, nine, 10 years ago, my wife was working. She was in England for work and uh, she was my girlfriend at the time. And she asked me, I know like we watch the games and stuff and that you're into this stuff, but have you decided like on a club? Like, and I was always like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, do I need to? But she's like, if you've gone to your head, who's your club? And I was like, you know, Liverpool is the club that I like admire the most and the one that I kind of just gravitate towards the most. And she was asking because she was in like a shop and she bought me some Liverpool stuff. So she bought me Liverpool stuff in London. So I'm sure the same kind of thing. The cashier was probably like, oh, you know. Here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> going back to music a little bit. As much as I, I could talk about football all day, I really could. But I had one question left on music. Um, 
obviously you've got three bands movie life which is a lot of history behind it and obviously a lot of new stuff as well obviously the new album is great you know you're going to be doing new stuff as well no i loved it because i loved it because it was new and it was different but it wasn't too different for me it still had that kind of like old movie life stuff for me which is great but it sounded like yeah it sounded like movie life but the 15 years that you had in between or whatever it was like packed into it. Oh yeah. It's for us to go and try to recreate when we did when we were kids would have been the wrong move. It's yeah. basically just me and Brandon getting back together as met as grown men writing together. And uh, two people that have learned a lot about songwriting. So yeah. that was an amazing experience writing, a, writing and recording a record with Brandon. Like that was an amazing experience. Do you have, um sort of different dynamics between what you do because sometimes you look at like man in a band a woman in a band and it's just like going on tour writing songs doing this doing that but from my experience which is vastly different and on a a much lesser scale music i've done has always had totally different dynamics in terms of the people i'm with the relationships i have the way i perform it and also the way i write it but even though you know, Avalanche and movie life maybe live in a similar genre. It's a totally different dynamics in the way that you approach it and the way that you have that relationship with the people in it. Yes. Um, the way that I mentally view and kind of the way that I um, perceive the movie life is just, it's me and Brandon and this is our trip. The way that I see Avalanche is it's me and Mike Ireland and our creative um, chemistry. Avalanche is more of a, the sound is dictated by what we put out and the sound that me and Mike put out together dictates what words come into my head. When me and Brandon are writing together, there's a different thing there's a different, um, I take a different mindset to it because it puts me in a different mindset. Um, another band of mine called Peace Out, which is like a psychedelic heavy like band. I get kind of mean in that one. Like, oh, this is where I'm going to blow off some serious steam in a different way of like the emotive kind of movie action avalanche, different worlds. And then in constant constant elevation, it's a it's another feeling of where oh this is my fast band, this is where I'm gonna like channel all of the fast hardcore punk rock that I grew up listening to, and I'm just gonna be that guy. Yeah. Um, and then the solo stuff, I just get super like extra if 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 Avalanche and Movie Life stuff is extremely personal, the solo stuff goes to like a next level personal to where maybe I start to not want to show my mom those songs because I don't want her to know like my <laughs> uh, my demons and my yeah. sadness and stuff we all have them man that's the the beauty and also the sadness of it I guess is that we do all have them but um so I guess I didn't want to stagger the questions in so much of a history I wanted to start off in history but then I wanted just to have a chat I guess um, I tried not to. I tried not to uh, think about my questions too much. I think it's better to be a bit more organic with stuff like this. Um, but I did oh, have yeah. a final question that I actually wrote a whole okay. five words. So final question, I guess. Uh, we don't know when we're going to be out of this, whatever it is, especially with the leaders that currently run our country um, or countries, shall we say? But what what's the plans post lockdown? Obviously, new avalanche coming out. But like, what's your personal and professional plans? Well, currently, uh, my wife and I both contracted the virus. Yeah, um, I read about that, actually, yeah. We weren't tested because in New York City at the time, it was impossible to get tested. Yeah. Um, but we're getting our antibodies test this week to show that we have it. And once... Uh, to show that we've had it. And once, hopefully, knock on wood, once they tell us that that means we're immune or if we're immune for a certain amount of time or whatever that means, not, you know, everybody's learning every day. Sure. 
<laughs> every day it changes it seems um we're gonna go see my parents they're 20 miles away but we don't want to bring anything any bad germs any anything to them my parents are in their 70s they're in the demographic of people that need to be super careful um, with this and we're certainly not going to be the ones to put them in harm's way after that i think we're going to steal one of their cars and uh, you know we're city people having a car in our neighborhood i'm looking out the window here having a car in our neighborhood is a detriment it's something that you need to wake up and move because of the street cleaning rules in new york city you gotta wake up seven eight in the morning and sit in your car and play the parking game and so after that we just we we crave open space we want to go on a trip my wife works for um like a boutique luxury hotel group and she'll be back at work um within the next few months i believe because she's going to be instrumental in in the reopening process yeah um as part of their team so um the plan is to go on a trip where i have no idea yet we're going to figure it out where we can experience some open space we live in a very dense community going out for a walk which we should all do you know even though we're being responsible we need to go outside get some air get the blood moving or else we will go nuts you know sure yeah no absolutely yeah so um that's one thing, but doing that in this neighborhood is difficult. We're literally walking into the street to avoid other people on the sidewalk. And it, it, we live in New York City, which is the epicenter of this virus in basically the epicenter of this virus in the entire world right now. Creative open space. We want to we wanna get we want to get somewhere where we can feel liberated and feel free and breathe the air and, and toast and, you know, give thanks to life. And, um, that's our plan. But as far as getting back to business, um, the new on the avalanche record is going to come out late summer, early fall. We're not going to be touring <laughs> just yet, but, uh, the record is like, a, I really do think it's the best thing I've ever done best thing I've ever been a part of. And even though it, it wasn't premeditated, you know, this, this record was kind of done being recorded and the songs were recorded long, you know, written before we had any idea that this was going to be our reality, but I listen back to it now. It's extremely relevant to where we are now. Next year we'll be, I am the avalanche doing our thing playing our new music and of course some of our old music to people that are ready for it and ready to go out to shows and um constant elevation is rec is releasing something uh is releasing a four song ep low record written yet but uh i'll probably get to that once i'm done you know um mixing this avalanche record with the rat and like going back and forth with our notes but um i'm letting the well replenish right now um I've so many lyrics, so many songs. I need I need the well to replenish. And when it does, I'll have a lot to look back on and a lot of emotions to address. Um but we're just trying to be smart and trying to be safe. And we're, you know, we need to uh not rush this. We need to be smart because some waves of this shit. And um, as long as everyone behaves themselves, which they're not, there's people, half of the Americans, half of our country are fucking idiots and they're gathering in places, protesting a virus. Um, fucking nonsense. Um, this will never go away unless, people, you know, honestly, uh, you know, a vaccine might be the only like true way to get rid of this. And we know that that's going to take a little while. Like, um, but if we all behaved ourselves, if we were all intelligent people, this would go away a lot quicker than, than it will. Yeah. I can't count on my fellow countrymen to, um, countrymen and women to, uh, to do the right thing. Because people are fucking idiots. It's human nature. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Same.
Ben, thanks very much, mate. Appreciate it. I appreciate you. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, for sure. I have a legendary meal planned here that I'm going to cook.